Well, good morning. It is good to see you this morning as we uh, celebrate the Lord together. It's May, so we're already over a third of the way through our 2021 year, and uh, we look forward to what God continues to do. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing this morning. Father, as we come before you, may we be encouraged in Jesus Christ. May we be challenged in our relationship with you. Lord, may we recognize your grace and mercy, and also recognize the importance of following you and impacting our world for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. A model. If you look at a definition of model in the dictionary, you see one of the definitions says that it is an example to follow or imitate. If you are in the business world, you may have a model that your business follows. Or if, uh, I know uh, I used to have and, and probably still do some model homes that you can you know, go into a certain area and they have a home laid out to try to encourage you. This is what your home could look like if you buy a lot or buy a house in this area. Models. We are called to follow godly models and we're called to be a model for others to follow. And in Philippians chapter 2, we find three models of people that we're called to follow. As we continue on our journey through Philippians, we see here in these last verses of chapter 2 that Paul shares three people, himself included, as well as Timothy and Epaphroditus. These three people that we can follow, we see their character, and we're challenged to follow that character. The first model that that we see is Paul himself, and in verses 17 and 18, we see that, that Paul is a joyful sacrifice. Notice what it says in these verses, beginning in verse 17. It says, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul was being poured out as what he called a drink offering. And now, those people that he originally wrote to understood exactly what that was, both in the Jewish tradition and also the pagan traditions around them. They would have these drink offerings. And what they would do is they would have their sacrifice, but then they would pour this liquid on the sacrifice as an extra offering, as a drink offering toward obviously the Israelites, toward Jehovah, but for the others, toward their gods. And so Paul said he was a drink offering poured out upon their sacrifice and their service. The the sacrifice and service of those people there in Philippi he was writing to. Now we read here in verse 17 and it says, and if I am being poured out. Actually, it's not a question on whether he would, but it's a reminder that he was being poured out, and and your English or Greek uh, class this morning, it's a present tense, which means it's a continual thing. Paul is saying, I am continually being 
poured out as an offering upon your continual sacrifice and service to God. It was something that Paul was continuing to do and that they needed to continue to do to be that sacrifice. Right then, he was in prison. He was writing. Some people say, well, it's looking for, you know, if I am a drink offering, if I'm eventually martyred for the faith. Well, he knew at any time he would be martyred. In fact, as he was there in prison, that was a possibility. As we look back, as it is history now, we can say, well, it was a while before Paul was eventually martyred, but he knew at any time he could be martyred. But even until that time, he was that drink offering. He was that continual sacrifice to God. But in verse 17, and again in verse 18, he uses some strange words to go with sacrifice that don't seem to match. The word sacrifice. He said, for I am glad and rejoice. And then in verse 18, for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice. How could he say that he could rejoice in being a sacrifice? We would ask the same question. How can we say, okay God, you know, I'm going to sacrifice for you and this makes me so excited. Well, he could say that. He could rejoice because he was serving Christ. He could rejoice because the gospel was going forward. And he could rejoice because his suffering was making others more bold in their faith. As they watched his example, as they watched his model, they stepped up also. The people there in Philippi stepped up amongst incredible persecution. To honor God, it cost them their freedom or even their life. They were willing to do it as they followed the model, the example of Paul. And so he could rejoice in that. Did he enjoy being in prison? No. But he rejoiced in the fact that he could serve his God. And he could rejoice in the fact that the Gospel was going forth. He could rejoice in the fact that others were stepping up as they saw and followed His example as He followed Christ. If you remember, uh, we talked about it in one of the earlier messages and we'll see it again at the very end of this letter where he talks about the people that were part of that Praetorian Guard. And even some in Caesar's household that were followers of Christ. They were followers of Christ because of the witness of Paul. And if you remember the Praetorian guards there, that that very famous group of guards that were with him 24 hours a day. And he had opportunity to share the Gospel. And then the next set would come in and he could share again. And share again. And because of that, some were going to know or had come to know Christ and were serving God. Oftentimes, when, when we face that question of sacrifice, we look at it from the opposite extreme, don't we? We say, you know, I don't want anything bad to happen to me. But Paul said it's about the cause of Christ. Paul considered himself a living sacrifice. 
In Romans chapter 12, in verse 1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's what we should naturally do in response to what God has done for us. Now, have you ever thought, and, and I, I don't want to get morbid here, but, but have you ever thought if, if someone came and said, alright, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, you're going to be killed, what, what would your response be? And I don't encourage you to take a long time thinking about that, but consider it. What would your response be? I think, what would my response be? I would hope that I would say, you know, if I die, I die, but I will not disclaim Christ. But in many ways, it's harder to live for Christ than it would be to die for Christ, I believe. Daily, giving up my will to follow His will. Now I pray that we will never have to face that decision as far as the persecution would come to that point. And I know in places in the world it's happening today. I understand that. But to daily live for Christ and to daily say, God, my life is Yours today. I'm a living sacrifice I'm going to set aside my desires to follow what you desire. And that's exactly what Paul did as he called himself or as he challenged himself and challenged them to be this drink offering poured out, sacrifice and service. So we see the model of Paul, but then in verse 19 where we're challenged with the model of Timothy, who was a faithful servant. He begins in verse 19, and he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Paul was hoping to send Timothy to encourage and to help the church there at Philippi. And we see some things about the character of Philippi in these verses. We see that he was like-minded. He had the same goals that Paul had. In many ways, Paul was training Timothy to take his place, to take over parts of the ministry. So he was like-minded with the same goals. We also see he had a heart for the people. Paul uses the term here in verse 20, the sincere care. His concern for them. He was God-focused. While others were focused on their own lives, Timothy was focused on the things of Christ. Notice verse 20 and 21, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. 
In many ways, that's a very sad statement. Now, there were people like Luke that were with Paul. But as we read in chapter 1, there were, there were people that were opposed to Paul that were seeking their own glory. And as Paul was looking for someone to send to Philippi, which was quite a journey, there was one person that was willing and able to do that, and that was Timothy. He was God-focused. He said, while others are all looking for their own things, Timothy is looking for the things of Christ. And he was faithful. He had a proven character. He had demonstrated faithfulness over time. While others were not willing or able to make the commitment to drop everything and go to Philippi to serve, Timothy was more than willing. He had been faithful. He had demonstrated over a period of time. And he would continue to do that. And it was about the people of Philippi. And it was about the work of God. It wasn't about Timothy. It was interesting, I was reading a, an older commentary on this, and they're speaking about the Timothy of character, and this, this commentator said this, he was all wool and a yard wide. And uh, oftentimes as you read the older commentaries, you're like, okay, what does that mean? And of course, this is one of those phrases. Anybody ever hear that phrase? I had never heard it before. All wool and a yard wide. Well, it was the idea, and I had to look it up, and it was the idea, by the way, what do we do without Google? I probably would have been three or four days trying to find it in some other way, but I just could ask Google and it helped me out. So all wool in a yard wide was used, started around the Civil War. It was somebody that was pure and genuine. Someone you could trust. The all wool, the idea of pure in a yard wide, it wasn't short in character. It wasn't 35 inches when it was supposed to be 36. Pure and genuine. And that's what Timothy was. He was pure and genuine. He was, could be trusted. Over time, he had demonstrated character. He had demonstrated faithfulness. And Paul knew he could be trusted. When people around you who know you, when they think of you, would they say, yeah, he or she is all wool in a yard wide? Or would they say, well, I think they'll come through. Timothy was a faithful servant. If, if you follow the life of Timothy in the New Testament, you read about how he was a, a leader in the church. It doesn't talk about how good of a communicator he was. He may have been tremendous. He may have struggled with it. The thing we see is in First and Second Timothy, he was challenged because he was young and some of the people were, were questioning his authority. But one thing that comes out in Timothy's life and, and why he could be the godly leader was the fact that he was genuine and faithful. And that's what God calls us all to be. 
whatever our position or lack of position, God calls us to be faithful. To be genuine. And that's exactly what Peter was. Or excuse me, not Peter. Timothy was. And then we come to Epaphroditus. The loving gambler. And we see here in verses 25 through 30 the story of Epaphroditus. And we know very little else about Epaphroditus other than what is said here. It says, beginning in verse 25, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. So who was Epaphroditus? Well, he was a guy that the church at Philippi sent to help Paul. They had, they had raised money, even though they were a very poor church, they had raised money to help Paul in the ministry there. And they sent those funds with Epaphroditus, also with Epaphroditus having the responsibility of, of stepping in to help Paul in this difficult time in Paul's life and ministry. But while Epaphroditus was there with Paul, he got extremely sick. In fact, sick to the point where they thought he was going to die. In fact, the wording in there, it's amazing, the wording in there is saying that death was his next door neighbor. He was right there. We use the term, he was on death's doorstep. But in verse 25, we, and, and verse 25, we see these characteristics, these portrayals of who Epaphroditus was in his relationship with Paul in the church at Philippi. He begins by saying that he was, Paul speaking, my brother. He showed his relationship and his equality with Paul. And we see not only that, but he was a fellow worker. A teammate with the same cause. And we talked about fellowship. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about that term fellowship? It's not a potluck dinner. It's striving together toward the same goal. And he was this fellow worker with Paul. Not only that, but he was a fellow soldier. They were fighting together against the same enemy. All three of those characteristics showed this close relationship and, and similar goals or the same goal that Paul had. That the Gospel would go forward. That people would grow in Christ and that Satan would be defeated. 
But then he goes on further on in verse 25, and he says that he was a messenger and a minister of the people there at Philippi. That word messenger is an ambassador. He was chosen by them to represent them and to serve them there with Paul in his ministry. And a minister, a minister who serves the needs of others. It was used often in that culture of a public official who fulfilled their duties even at their own expense. And that same word, that messenger, or a minister, excuse me, is someone who was in throughout the New Testament a servant of the Lord. Now, we don't know much at all about Epaphroditus. As I said earlier, we, nothing is mentioned about his family. There's no mention of any title that he had. What his position was in the church, we have no idea. But what do we know about him? We know that the Philippians trusted him. They trusted him with that sacrificial offering that they sent with him. They trusted him knowing that he would be faithful in helping Paul in the ministry. They also knew that he was courageous. He was willing to join Paul when being on Paul's team was not necessarily the best for your health. He was going to join Paul while Paul was in prison. And what did Epaphroditus do? He left everything to serve. And then we see that he became very sick. Verse 30, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service or your help toward me in the ministry there. Now the word that is used is the idea of death being next door. He had almost died. And Paul says something interesting. He said that Paul thanked God for God's mercy because it would have been sorrow upon sorrow for Paul if Epaphroditus would have died. Obviously the sorrow of a a friend and fellow worker passing away. But I believe Paul also had a, a secondary extra grief that would have taken place if Epaphroditus would have died because Epaphroditus would have given his life trying to help Paul. And so Paul could have felt that extra burden thinking it's because of me that he died. But God's mercy allowed Epaphroditus to to live and to improve. And so Paul wanted to send Epaphroditus back so the people there could be encouraged. The people in Philippi could see Epaphroditus again and be encouraged. But we see both the character of Paul and Epaphroditus in this response that Paul gives. Paul with the the compassion and love that he had for Epaphroditus. 
But we see another characteristic of Epaphroditus, not only his faithfulness, his courage that he demonstrated, but he was focused on the other people, not himself. He was, he was concerned because he was sick, but he wasn't concerned for his own health. He was concerned because he knew that the people of Philippi were worried. It was causing distress upon them. And that's what seems to have bothered Epaphroditus the most. You know, as we've seen with all three of these characters, all three of these models, it wasn't about them. And in order to be a servant, we must recognize that it's not about us. You think about a servant or a slave. Their responsibility and their goal, whether it was from their desire or not, but their goal was to please the Master. As a servant of God, we will be a successful servant if our goal is to please the Master. That is what we're called to do. But then in verse 30, it says that he was not regarding his own life. This term was a gambling term, and you you wondered where I said the loving gambler as we introduced him. This was a gambling term when someone would risk it all on the roll of a dice. Or in our day and age, risk it all on the bet. We're putting it all on the line, and that's exactly what Epaphroditus was doing. He was risking it all. But it wasn't to win a bet. It was to serve God. And if you read about the early church, there was a group of men and women who followed the model of Epaphroditus. In fact, they named themselves the gamblers. You thought it was Kenny Rogers that came up with that. No. It was Epaphroditus. And so the gamblers, this this group of people, they organized themselves. And so what would happen is when there were prisoners who needed encouragement or the sick that needed the help, they would come and help those people. Especially the ones who were ill with dangerous and infectious diseases. In fact, they were known for their risking it all. Often when a plague would strike a city, they would go to that city when others were fleeing to get away. They would go. And they would bury the dead. And they would care for the sick, risking their own lives to show the love of Jesus Christ. And they patterned themselves after this guy that we know so little about, but obviously they knew about, Epaphroditus, the gambler. And so they became known around the world there as those people that would risk it all 
to show God's love. And that is what we're called to do. To be a servant. So we see these three guys, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. Three different people, three different positions, or for Epaphroditus, we didn't even know if he had a position or not. Different gifts, different talents, different passions, but the same goal. The same goal of honoring Christ with their lives and serving God as they served others. Now, Paul was obviously the most well-known of the three. Probably the most famous missionary in history. But he couldn't do the work alone. And in sharing the story of these two other guys, he reminds us of that very important lesson. Recognizing it's not about me, but recognizing it takes a team. And that's a tremendous reminder to each and every one of us to consider our responsibilities and our gifts as we work together for God's glory. In Acts chapter 17, we find one of Paul's most famous sermons in Athens. Remember we said, you know, they would have all of these recognitions of all of these different gods and they didn't want to miss any, so they had one to the unknown God. And Paul shares in Acts 17 about this unknown God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the true God. And we look at that message in Acts chapter 17, and it's an amazing and powerful message. But there's a couple things, and and I'm assuming a couple things here, but I don't think too much. You look at what happened in Athens, even though it's it's one of the most powerful sermons recorded of Paul. And here he was, the most famous missionary. But in Athens, it doesn't look that a church was ever started. And he was there for a very short time. And it just doesn't seem like much happened. So you have to say, what was the difference between Athens and places like Corinth or Ephesus where Paul spent a long period of time and a church was started and began to flourish? What was the difference? Obviously, and I'm not trying to eliminate God's plan and God's control of the situation. We understand that's the foundation of it all. But one of the things you see different between Athens and and the other places recorded where Paul went Paul went to Athens alone. And even though it was the same Paul, the result was different. I think one of the biggest reasons why it didn't seem to have the same impact as other places, and again, I'm assuming some things, But the challenge there is Paul didn't have those around him to complete the team and the ministry. 
Why did Paul take so much time here in this short letter to the Philippians to share the stories of Timothy and Epaphroditus? Why? Because those people knew them, sure. But also a reminder of, to us that each and every part of the team has an important role to play, an important responsibility to share. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has set up the church as His tool, as His means to spread the Gospel to the world and to challenge people in their relationship with God. But every part of the team is vital for the success of the team. You see, the team works together. They work together well when everyone does their part. And we are called to work together. And everyone needs to do their part. And when one part of the team isn't functioning, it hurts the whole team. And so that's the challenge. I'm excited this fall we're going to spend a little more time looking at spiritual gifts. And it can be a little confusing, spiritual gifts and natural abilities and passions, but I believe they all work together. But God says that for every person who's a follower of Jesus Christ, they are given spiritual gifts to use Ephesians chapter 4 for the benefit of everyone. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have spiritual gifts. As well as God has given everyone natural abilities as the creator of the world and as your creator, God has given you natural abilities. As a follower of Christ, spiritual gifts. You have passions. How are you using them for the cause of Christ? And what's your part of the team? And how are you do doing and fulfilling those responsibilities of doing your part? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that as Almighty God, you love us. Your mercy is more than we can ever understand. And Lord, we, we just pray that you would help us to recognize the gifts, the abilities, the passions that we all have. Lord, may you be glorified as we serve you. Help us to demonstrate the character of Paul, of Timothy, and of Epaphroditus. And may you be glorified through it all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.